Welcome to Walking in Faith with Pastor Rob Currington. This podcast is dedicated to helping develop lifelong seekers of the Kingdom of God. Each week, Pastor Rob helps bring God's message for living to those seeking a richer and more Christ-filled life. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he shares this week's message. Elijah, from suffering to salvation, take your Bibles to turn to 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 8 through 24. Have you ever asked yourself the question, why does God do what he does? Why does he put certain obstacles and, and things in our life? Why, why does suffering, why does he allow suffering? Why is it a part of our life? And why does he bring salvation to some and not to others? Now, we're not going to answer all those questions, but these are some of the questions is, why do things happen in the way that they do? What is God trying to do? Now, in our passage last week, as we were studying about Elijah, the prophet of God, he's a man that's larger than life, right? I mean, he's one of the heroes of the faith. He served God and his generation by confronting the evil king uh, Ahab and Queen Jezebel. They were idol-worshiping uh, people. They were worshiping Baal. They didn't introduce the Israelites to Baal worship, but they definitely ramped up this despicable display of rebellion against the holy God, Yahweh. But courageously, Elijah points out to Ahab and to Elijah last, or Ahab and Jezebel last week, that God is not only alive, but he is sovereign over all of nature. In addition, due to their failure to worship this most high God, Elijah has been given authority by Yahweh on God's behalf to, to pronounce judgment that there will be a drought that we see from our passage here today in scripture reading and in James lasted three and a half years. And this will cause a devastating famine throughout not only the northern kingdom, but throughout the region. In that passage, we saw God's priority is that God is the one who deserves our worship. His provision where God empowers and provides for all those who obey him. We can trust in him as we saw through Matthew chapter 6. Not only that, we saw God's purposes. That God provides salvation to the righteous, but he also provides judgment to the wicked. So Elijah's story teaches us that knowledge and fear of God should evaporate and will evaporate the fear of powerful people. And like Elijah, you and I are also called to proclaim God's judgment on the wicked and his offer of salvation to those who will receive it. Now as we come to today, 1 Kings chapter 8, and we're talking about from suffering to salvation, we're introduced to a young widow with a young son who has a life-changing encounter with the prophet Elijah. So with that, it's not on the monitor. I did not bring, I did not do that this week. So hopefully you have your Bibles. If you do not have a Bible, encourage you to let me know. I'd love to give you a free Bible today. 1 Kings chapter 17, maybe it's on your phone already. Verse 8, the word of the Lord came to him, speaking of Elijah, said, Arise, go to Jeropeth, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. Father, be with us this morning. Just open up our minds and hearts to this passage of Scripture, one that may be familiar to most of us, but maybe not to all. But Lord, let us see ourselves 3,000 years in the past, be able to understand what's going on, and then now come now to our today, time today and work it out and say, what does this have to do with us this morning? 
Just let me speak words that are edifying. Let's know the difference between just my mere opinion and the truth of your word. We thank you for this time. In Christ's name, amen. Now, after spending some time in the wilderness, remember he, he gave the thing, there will be no water, no dew, no rain. God sends him to a brook where he's fed by ravens and he drinks from the brook there. But then as we ended last week's passage, the brook dried up. There's no longer any water in the brook. God commands Elijah to travel to a village in Sidon. Now, the interesting point is this, as he tells him to go to Sidon, you have to realize is that is in the heartland of Baal worship. That is the heartland. That is where Queen Jezebel is from. It's not where it originated from, Baal worship, but it is the, the heartland of Baal worship. And you and I may ask, why does God send Elijah away to that country and away from Israel? Remember, he was a prophet of God and he was an Israelite and he was to prophesy to the northern kingdom. I mean, this is the homeland of the evil, wicked queen Jezebel. Why would he send him from northern kingdom to Sidon? Isn't Elijah needed in Israel to preach to the people to turn them away from worshiping the false gods? And the answer would be yes. Wouldn't it be uh, his time be better served at the court of the king trying to persuade King Ahab to repent? Probably maybe. Or we might ask the question, shouldn't, be, shouldn't he be organizing food drives and finding water, water, other water sources or helping widows in Israel? That's kind of the question Jesus is asking. Yet God sends him further into enemy territory so that Yahweh may demonstrate that only he is the true and living God. And that any other claim is futile and foolish. It is here in a land that's hostile to Elijah's faith and hostile to the claim that, G that God is God, is Yahweh is God, that God reveals himself not to the king of Sidon, not to the queen of Sidon, not to the prophets, but to a poor, lonely widow woman and her young son. And again, this woman is a worship idol. She is not one who has been seeking God. She is not one who's been calling out for him. But yet he's going to reveal himself. Now this again displays Elijah's courage when he moves and he travels to this land. He trusts in God's provision and protection. You can imagine him moving from a hostile court, but yet he's still around his own hometown, but now called to go further away into a land that's even more hostile. But Elijah obeys the command of God. And once again, he receives the blessings of God's provision. This time, not through ravens who fed him before, but through a poor widow. Look at verse 10, if you have your Bibles there. So Elijah rose. He did what God called him to, and he went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there and she was gathering sticks. Look what she's doing here. She's gathering some sticks. And he called her and said, bring me a little water and a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to bring it, he called her and said, also bring me a morsel of bread that's in your hand. Well, this is nothing that's out of the normal so far. This was a typical Near East hospitality at work. A traveler would enter a city or a village. He would find the main watering hole and he would wait for someone to come and he would ask them for food, for water, for lodging, maybe a vessel just to get the water. We've seen this from time and time again through the Old Testament. 
We see in this narrative that God providentially, once again, brings Elijah and the widow that he had spoken to earlier into contact. Elijah asked not for water, but he also asked her for something to eat. It's her response that gets our attention in verse 12. Listen to what she says. And she said to his response to water and to something to eat, As the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked. I don't have anything baked for you. All I have, she goes on to say, is a handful of flour. So think of this, is a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son. So she's just going to, I've got some, I'm going to make a little fire. I'm going to take the little handful of, 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 of um, flour that I have, the little oil that I have, mix it together, and I'm going to make a little cake, maybe, you know, like a little, what's that word, uh, like cornbread type thing. And I'm going to make it for him and I, but then listen to what she says. That we may eat it and what? Die. In this verse, we see that she's suffering from two conditions. One is physical. The other condition is spiritual. Fortunately, we see that God is going to remedy both conditions in a supernatural display of power, grace, and mercy. And in doing this, he's going to demonstrate the futile and foolish pursuit of false gods. First condition. We read of her physical, emotional, and mental suffering as she and her son are affected by the famine that's caused by this drought. They have nothing left to eat. As a poor widow, her husband has died. She just has a young son who's not able to work yet. She has no support. She has come to the end of her food's resources and she has given up hope and she is ready to eat her last meal and then just sit there and prepare to die. And this would have been normal in those days, especially for a widow. For she cannot work. Her son is not a young man who could hire himself out. There's a drought. There's no water, no rain, no dew. The cattle probably by this time have probably fallen down. There is not much she can do. So this woman is suffering physically, emotionally, and mentally. She has given up hope. I don't know if you've ever been to that place. By God's grace, I have it. Maybe some of you have. To the place where you've given up hope. I just think of that story several weeks ago. It first was a mis, you know, mistaken that a young girl from Denmark, Sweden, somewhere around there had gotten permission, asked for permission to euthanize herself. She had suffered from being raped early as a young child or as a young girl, and then she suffered from anorexia. Anyone familiar with this story? And then it found out that she had asked to be euthanized, but it was, the request was denied. So she still wanted to kill herself. She was without hope. And so she went back home, and she went to bed, and the doctors and her parents allowed her to go without food and water. She said, I want no food or water. If they're not going to do it in a medical way, then I'll just deprive myself. And so this 13-year-old girl, emancipated in her parents' home, died of no food and no water. Now, for we can say much about that. How do parents do that? But I just want to simply ask, what brings a poor 13-year-old to the point of no hope. 
I mean, you would think that there would just be a mental and physical thing saying when you're hungry and thirsty that you're, you're going to reject any despair you might have. But in this case, her, her mechanism for self-preservation was overwhelmed by a hopeless existence. I think this is almost what you're getting here. We're going to eat what we have left. We have nothing left. We're ready to die. Verse 13, Elijah asked her to put her faith into him. Listening to what she says, listen to what Elijah says. Elijah says, do not fear. Go and do what you have said. Go ahead and make your last meal. But first, before you take that little meal, make me a little cake and bring it to me. And afterwards, make something for yourself and your son. Now, I would say, Elijah, have you not just listened to her? She says, I have a handful of flour. Now, this is a widow. Her hand was probably not much larger than that. I'm a small man with a small hand. So a handful of flour and a little bit of oil. And I'm going to make something for me and my son. We're going to eat it. And he says, well, first make me a cake. And so he says, make me a cake. And then he says, fear not. Verse 14, he says, for thus saith the Lord. This is how he can command this. This is how he can say, fear not. For he says, thus saith the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. Amazingly, the widow responds to her request on just the trust and the faith of his own word. Maybe she's fearful of him, I do not know. But yet she does so. And at first glance, this seems very, very selfish. However, his promise is hard to famine, is, a, is, is an unending supply of flour and oil. The promise is it will never end. Now, when has such thing has ever happened? Don't you wish that would happen to your wallet? Every time you open it up, a, a $20 bill would be in there. I've tried it. It doesn't work. Have you ever prayed and said, Lord, I just need this money and open it up? And Now, I usually find money when you don't expect it, but this is wholly different. This requires her to place her faith not only in Elijah's pro promise, a stranger, but it points out that it will be Yahweh that will cause it to rain and give her. Because he says, thus saith the Lord. Now, remember, she is not a worshiper of Yahweh. She is a worshiper of Baal. So he says, I say, thus saith the Lord. So you see an opening of her heart. Remember, they believe that Baal was the one who brought the rains and the fertility. But yet in this passage, God invades enemy territory. And he declares that he will do what Baal cannot provide. And he does it supernaturally for this poor woman and her son. I will provide a never-ending supply of flour, a never-ending supply of oil until I send the rain. Now there is a God who's going in and planting his flag and saying, I will take care of you. Now as we come to verse 15, we see that God provided and she went and did, as Elijah said. She went and took what she had. Now, you have to remember, this did not come as like all of a sudden she turned around and bags of flour setting over there. And over here, there was a, 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 you know, a, a big, you know, kind of like Coke display of, of oil there. No, she still had just the jars. 
And every time she would pour it out, more would come. So she takes that jar and she begins to make him a cake. And lo and behold, after making his cake, she saw that there was more in there. And she went and did as Elijah said. And she and he and her household ate, it says, for many days. Now, it doesn't tell us in this three and a half year period how long that was. Verse 16 tells us that that jar of flour was not spent. Neither did the jug of oil become empty according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. So from day to the day it rained, God supernaturally continued to allow that flour and the oil to continually be full so that she could supply for her family. Time and time again, I need to share with you that God demonstrates his existence, his power, his grace, and his mercy in providing for those he loves and even for those who have rejected him. Now, isn't that amazing? In Matthew 6, as we saw last week, God has promised that you and I should not have any anxiety, that we should not have any worry that God provides. And many of you could say amen. I know many of you could say God has provided time and time again, but yet even for those who have rejected him can find that God reveals himself, demonstrates his authority and his power and his sovereignty by giving to those that reject him. Scripture tells us that God makes his son rise on the evil and on the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust. See, the question that people ask, why does God allow bad things to happen to good people? Many have said that's the wrong question. Really, the right question is, why does anything good happen to bad and evil people? Why does he allow them to breathe and their heartbeat to continue to give them life? Why does he give them substance? That's the question you and I are asking. And before you and I think of Hitler or, or something of ISIS, consider you and I. We were God rejectors. We were rebellious against him. That's how the Bible describes us from the day we were born. Why does God give anything good to those that reject him? But yet here we see that he does to a poor widow woman in this Gentile country. In summary, we see God supernaturally provide relief from her physical, her mental, and emotional suffering. She finds salvation physically, mentally, and emotionally. And in doing so, not only does he provide for her, but he also displays his power over the natural world by making something continue to produce. He provides or displays his mercy by providing for her a never-ending resource. Remember, mercy is something as getting what you do not deserve. And then grace and sustaining her and her young son during the famine and drought. There was no reason why God had to do that. As Jesus said in our scripture reading that Landon read earlier, he says, well, weren't there widows in Jerusalem and Israel that could have used that? Yes. But God goes to a widow woman, an idol worshiper, and provides for her. So that was the first suffering. The second suffering that we saw back in verse, uh, verse uh, 12 is that of her spiritually suffering, suffering. She was suffering spiritually. You see, in her suffering, uh, spiritual suffering, it's displayed in her head knowledge of Yahweh. But she's deceived, 
into the worshiping of the false god of Baal that dominated the region. This condition is displayed by her response to Elijah back in verse 12. Look at verse 12. She said, as the Lord, what? Your God lives. There's much in that phrase. Now you might just read it and you and I just read it and say, okay, we just, but what is she, what is she saying? That Yahweh is your God. It's Jerusalem's God. That's not my God. My God is Baal or whatever plethora of gods that they worshiped in that time. You see, Yahweh is Elijah's God, not hers. She has been brought up to worship Baal. She invokes his name as a matter of swearing an oath, probably just to be polite to Elijah, or perhaps she was beginning to see that due to the lack of water and the famine that surrounded the land, that Baal, her God, was worthless. Remember, she probably had been praying just as you and I pray for sustenance. God, help me and my son. Provide for us. Let it rain. Father, give us food. But yet, she's ready to eat and just die. Her God has been quiet. He is worthless. Whatever the state of her heart, God is going to demonstrate his presence, his power, and his mercy and grace in a display of supernatural wonder, not by resupplying a physical need, but by raising her son from the dead. So something is happening in this woman's heart. She recognized, I know who Yahweh is. He is your God, not mine. Now the writer of 1 Kings begins the narrative by informing us in verse 17 that her young son became ill. And his illness, we see in verse 17, was so severe that there was no breath left in him. Now, when you see that phrase, no breath left in him, you would say that he what? He died. He's dead. And as you can imagine, this woman was most likely beside herself. Remember, she's probably in a better frame of mind than she was. But yet she had been going through some suffering for some time. Not only is her, her husband dead, but now her son is dead. And you can almost see her anger and her desperation when she cries out to Elijah in verse 18. What have you against me, O man of God? That's her first response. She looks at Elijah. What have you against me? Have I done something wrong? Look at her second response. You have come to me to bring my sin to remembrance. And to cause my son to die. She responds like most people who do not know God. She blames others. She blames God. She blames herself. She believes somehow that she has offended Elijah or that some other problem has come up because of her. The phrase, oh man of God, seems to question his authority as well as God. It doesn't, I, I can't really get the sense of how she is saying that, but it seems like you're a man of God. Look what you did, but yet now my son is done. Lastly, she's convinced that her son died because of her sin. And I want to take a moment, many of us many times think that way. This pattern of thinking is normal. We think the suffering in our life is caused by God. In John chapter 11, verse 32, we see the death of Lazarus. 
And what we see here as, as, as Jesus is coming to Lazarus, Mary comes to him. Now, remember, Mary was the one that, was, that, that would sit at Jesus' feet while it was Martha who would, who would be doing all the work. And we always praise Martha. She's the one that loved Jesus. She was the one that sat at his feet and was ready to worship him. But listen what she says when she confronts Jesus at the death of her, son, at the death of her brother. And when Mary came to Jesus, she saw him. She fell, fell at his feet saying, oh, this is good. Saying to him, listen to what she says. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would have not died. Now she's sharing several things. She, she's sharing, I know that you have the power to raise him from the dead. Now, whether Jesus would have chosen to do so, you and I don't know. She does not know that. But she does know that Jesus has the power to raise people from the dead or not really raise people, I'm sorry, not to raise him from the dead, but to heal him. She had seen him heal many people. And you can imagine her thought, listen, I have seen you heal many people. I have hosted you in my home. I have fed you and many people as they came into my home and you healed them. If you were here, you would have healed him. Why weren't you here? Because if you know the passage, Jesus waited three days after hearing that Lazarus was sick. Where were you? I can share with you, I've been in many funerals in Dunham where many times people wonder, where has God been? You could have healed them, God. You could have stopped this. Here they are. They blame God for their suffering. It may not be death, it could be anything else. My financial, my emotional state, maybe my physical little, uh, disabilities. Where is God? You can heal him, but where were you? The second pattern of thinking that is normal is that it's caused by sin. We look at someone and say, ah, oh, they must have done something. They're only getting what they deserve. It's a karma type of thing, right? They're only getting what they deserved. Disciples made the same mistake in John chapter 9. As they're walking by a blind man, we see this story, this narrative. And Jesus saw a blind man from birth and his disciples asked Jesus, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? So in their respect, thinking is if you were blind, if you, if you had some type of disability, it was because someone sinned, your parents, that this person was born. So his parents must have sinned. Jesus says, not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed. And so what I'm trying to share with you is that many times you and I are going to go through suffering. People that we love are going to go through suffering. Our, our neighbors are going to go through suffering. And many times their thought is this is God's doing or it's because of their own sin or my sin. And you and I have to understand is that suffering happens so that salvation may happen. For God displays himself. I had a wonderful moment. I say this wonderful, I shouldn't say it that way. But um, it's in my office Friday, I was preparing this message and uh, now that Dustin's not here, I have to do all the running up to the front counter when someone rings the bell. So someone rings the bell. And when I'm in the middle of a message, the last thing I, I like is, 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 you know, is because is, is, I get going, I, I don't like interruptions. But, you know, it's part of the, you know, it's part and parcel of what happens. So the bell rings. I'm like, oh, okay, be right there. No one answers. So I, I'm coming. 
So I get up to the front, and it's a young man that I recognize. He works right in this area here. I say, hey, how can I help you? And I could tell that he was emotional. I could tell that he was very distraught. And him and I had never talked personally that, that I can ever imagine, though I had run into him because he works right around here. And he just said, uh, hey, pastor, I just came in. My, my grandpa died, and uh, I just need someone to pray for. And sitting down with him, he had been adopted, and this grandfather is the only biological person he knows. And he was in really influential. He had contact with him when he was young. And it's very emotional. What can I help you with? He just wanted to pray. So I was able to pray with him, share some things that maybe God might be doing. He expressed some things that he might, he knows something about biblical concepts. I don't know where he is eternally. Gave him a little booklet, share with him what, what death is allows us to do. It allows us to focus on God and to use this time in a wise way, but grieve for his grandfather. And as he left, I just said, there's an example of it there. Why does suffering come? And I wish I had the full answers for you. But here's one answer that I believe is true and scriptural. Is that God brings suffering in our life because it causes us to focus on God. It's through our suffering that God can demonstrate his power, his presence, his grace, and his mercy. It's through suffering that God will reveal himself, whether you're a Christian or whether you're a non-Christian, an idol worshiper. And let me tell you, everybody is an idol worshiper. John Calvin said that the heart is an idol-making factory, and we are. So suffering is a time to focus on who God is. And that's what I encourage that young man to do. So as we come here, this is what God is doing in this woman's life. He is causing her and bringing her to focus. Now, it could be on why God is causing the suffering or someone's sin. Or in the woman's case, she believes it's her own sin. Why are you exhibiting or showing, exposing my own sin? Even Elijah, as we see here, is caught up in her crying and in her turmoil. As he takes the child into his arms and he himself cries out to God in verse 20, O Lord, my God, have you brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I sojourn by killing her son? He's asking the same question. What are you doing? You've called me here. You, you've done supernatural wonders here. Why are you now bringing this calamity? Now, there's a part of the thing that you and I have to understand that all things happen because God is providential. God is sovereign. We saw several weeks ago in the American Gospel, if you have not yet seen the American Gospel, please see it. If you need a video of it, let me know. I have one that I can lend you. But one pastor says that God is not sovereign. God is not control of anything because they don't, they don't believe in a theology of suffering. But let me tell you, salvation only comes through suffering. If not through your own spiritual or physical suffering, it came through the physical, mental, physical suffering of Jesus Christ. So he cries out too. 
You see, he in his, but in his emotional state, we see that Elijah still has the presence of mind to cry out to Yahweh in faith by saying, O oh Lord my God, let this child's life come into him again. Now, until this point in Scripture, we never see one instance of God raising someone from the dead that I can recall up to this point. But yet Elijah, and even in this calamity, understands that I can only pray to the one who has the power of life and death. And as James teaches us, the prayer of a righteous person has power as it is working. And what we see here, that God answers his prayer in verse 22. And the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah. And the life of the child came into him again, and the child revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper chamber into the house and delivered him to his mother. And this is important. If you have your Bible, you may want to underline this. And Elijah said, see your son lives. What a wonderful phrase. See your son lives. Again, God provides for her physical, emotional, and mental state by raising her son from the dead. But more importantly, he remedies her spiritual suffering by opening her heart uh, to the reality that Yahweh is the one true living God. Remember, she's an idol worshiper. She says, your God lives. But look at verse 24 when she sees that her son is brought down, when she hears the words of see your son lives, as she brings her son to her bosom and she feels the breath once again coming through his chest and through his back and he hears her, his voice cry out for his mom. She says, now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. Again, don't read past that and just think of the narrative. The narrator is pointing out that her heart has changed from their first meeting. From your God to I know. She knows that Elijah is the prophet of the one living true God. She now understands that Baal is a false God. God has demonstrated to her his true presence, his power, his mercy, and his grace. And God displays his presence, mercy, and power, and grace to this Gentile woman who was not seeking him at all. And you and I must rejoice at this because the Bible tells us there is none that seek after God. There is none that try to find God. But yet God displays his presence through the ministry of Elijah. He displays his power through the sovereign control over nature. He displays his mercy by providing substance to a Gentile. Again, mercy is getting what you don't deserve. And he gives it to a Gentile woman, not to a widow from Israel. And he displays his grace by granting her son's life, but also a new heart, a new understanding, a new knowledge of who Yahweh is. Now let me ask you a serious question. What condition? of hers was more serious. Her physical, emotional, and mental state that was where she was ready to give up life and hope or her spiritual. 
Which one should we be more concerned with? Which one should you and I as a church should be more concerned with? That's a tough question, is it not? People have been debating that for centuries. Unfortunately, we go from one extreme to another. We have now people who say all we need to do is preach the gospel. I don't care if their bellies are ever full or hungry. But then you have the others, the social gospel, which will say, well, no, we've got to feed them. We've got to give them housing. We need to do all this. But yet they never share the gospel. So what is better, to feed the belly and to lead them without a knowledge of God or knowledge of God and not feed them at all? Well, the scripture says there's a balance. He says, how can you, knowing someone is hungry and not feed them? He says, that's no faith at all. See, you and I ought to mimic and imitate the Father who demonstrates both at the same time. And I would encourage you, you and I need to do that. You and I need to do that through our deacons fund and through our giving, through our missionary. We ought to do it more as with the friendly center and in our own life and as a church. We need to recognize that people are suffering in many ways, physically, but they're also suffering spiritually. And unfortunately, many times we're too focused on one or the other and we neglect. But God is ready to demonstrate himself through both to the glory of God. God uses both to demonstrate his presence, his power, his mercy, and his grace. And Elijah served God and this woman by faithfully obeying God's command to enter a land full of people who will be hostile to his faith. And God, and you already know what I'm going to say, is that you and I are like Elijah. For you and I live in a land that is hostile to God, to who he is, and what he proclaims to be, and to those that believe in it. We see this each and every day. But you and I are called to demonstrate God's presence, power, and mercy, and grace to others he works through us. The question remains, why did Elijah go to Sidon? Could he not have done this in Israel? Would it not have been just as impactful? Yes, there were many people suffering in the northern kingdom due to the drought and famine. Yes, there are many Israelites who lost loved ones also during the time and probably young, young children. Yes, there are many Israelites that needed to know the presence, the power and the mercy and the grace of God. So why is it that he went here? Well, one answer would be that the narrative displays the truth that Yahweh is not limited to territory. One Bible teacher remarks that this narrative demonstrates that there's no obstacle to God's provision. Though Elijah is outside the land of promise and the widow is a Gentile, poor and an idol worshiper, God still miraculously reveals himself to her. And you and I need to understand that this narrative points to you and I. Because in our scripture reading earlier in Luke chapter 4, Jesus uses this, own, this narrative to describe his own ministry. And there's many similarities between Israel in Elijah's days and Nazareth in Jesus' day. And I would say even to you and I today. One Bible teacher notes that the idolatrous Israel in Elijah's day refused to obey God's word. So they judged, so God judged the land because of their Baal worship with the drought. In Jesus' day, Israel again refused to accept the word of God that Jesus the Messiah promised by the prophet Isaiah and they sought as, as, as Landon read to kill him. You and I live in a world today that also rejects the authority of God and his word and his truth. 
Though at first they seem oppressed, speaking of the people listening to Jesus, they are impressed with his words. They can't get past the fact that he's the son of a local carpenter. They really aren't interested in his teaching, but only want to see him do miracles. And when Jesus likens them to Israel in the time of Elijah as those who were following worse gods, they revealed their hearts by trying to lynch him. In Luke 4, Jesus highlights this, that God sent Elijah out of the land of Israel to a gentle, Gentile woman, a widow, I can't get that right, in an idolatrous nation, and there revealed both his power and his grace to all people. By providing her with food and raising her son, he points out that since his own people reject him, his gospel and its blessings will be taken to the Gentiles. And this is where you and I stand. In Romans 9, you and I were like the widow. We were outside the land of promise and God's blessings. It was to the Jews that, that, that they owned belonged the adoption, the glory, and the covenants, the giving of the law, and the worship. It was to them belonged the patriarchs, patriarchs and their race according to the flesh that is Christ. Yet because of their rejection, we have now been blessed. Romans 11 says, Those who are not my people, I will call my people. And her who is not beloved, I will call beloved. See, you and I are like the widow that we too were idol worshipers, serving a different God, a false God. But yet God invades our own territory and opens our heart by demonstrating his power, his presence, his mercy, and his grace to you and I. And this passage ought to motivate us to reach out to those who are suffering. I'm reminded of the words, come unto me, all who labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So there are people, not only ourselves, but there are people in our lives, family, friends, neighbors, co-workers, who are suffering. They might be suffering physically, mentally, emotionally, and you know who those are. Be that person that they come to to pray. May they say of you, I know that you serve a God. They may not know that he's the one true living God. They may not understand all that is God, but let them know that you are one who serves a true, living, sovereign, providential God. And you will find like Elijah that they will seek you out as that young man sought me out to just pray for him because it's in those times that God will give you the opportunity to share the gospel. You know, Paul said this, I am so glad, he says to the church of Thessalonica, I have heard of a great report of you. I have heard that you turn from worshiping idols to the living God. My goal and desire is that you and I will have the same type of experience. At one time, I pray that you return from worshiping idols and now you worship the living God. If you have not, I pray that you'd come. I'm going to ask Landon to stand up here just after the service. And if you've not yet heard who Christ is, let us tell you how you too can have eternal life. I want you and I to have the ability and the pleasure and the joy of one day turning to someone and saying, your fill-in-the-blank lives. Your mother lives. Your son lives. 
your brother lives. Not physically, but because they've been introduced to the God who's ready to reveal himself to those who suffer. From suffering to salvation, God reveals himself. Every head bowed and every eye closed. I just want you to take a moment to pause, consider what we wrote or what we've shared this morning, to pray and respond. Either you're the widow or you're Elijah. You're either a God follower who's introducing others to Christ and God is using you in a mighty way, or you're the widow and the son who are suffering, who needs to be introduced to the living God. I pray that you're the Elijah. If not, I pray that you'd come to know Christ. If you are a follower of Christ, demonstrate to those that are suffering who God is, that he may bring them to repentance and that we may rejoice with the angels. Father, thank you for this narrative, this passage. Help us to understand it more fully. Thank you for Elijah's courage, for the widow's opening of our heart. Though we will not meet them until the day of heaven, Father, their story is here for us to learn from. Father, may it give us motivation to those that are suffering. Give our antennas up that we may be able to detect those who are struggling. And may you demonstrate your presence, demonstrate your provision, your power, your grace and your mercy to those that have rejected you, that they too may live. We praise in Christ's name. Amen. We hope you have enjoyed this week's Walking in Faith podcast. We encourage you to share this podcast with others in order to help spread God's message to all those in need. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Email us at walkinginfaith at orangevilla.org. You can help us spread this podcast by writing a review at iTunes. And don't forget to visit us online at orangevilla.org. There you will find more information about our ministry, as well as share your thoughts, submit prayer requests, and find out how you can help others to grow in God's love. Until next week, may God bless you in everything you do.